So, good afternoon, or good morning, or good evening, wherever you guys are. I uh, just want to say welcome to this, which is our eighth um, webinar in the Smart Building series for 2017. And uh, really happy to um, be joined today by a guy called Brian Shepherdson from uh, Virgin Money. And I'll uh, ask him to introduce himself in a minute. Uh, just from me, from my side, um, what we, we wanted to do and what the purpose of today really was just to get Brian's perspective um, as an end user of smart building technology on, on how he um, is viewing uh, what, what they're doing at Virgin Money and also you know, the, the market as a whole. So really um, interested to hear and talk today. Of course, if uh, you guys do have any questions for Brian or myself, please type them in and I will get them there and we can uh, put them into uh, the um, the presentation as we go along, and I know Brian's got some slides uh, to show first, and then and then we'll get into a more of a Q and A uh, later on. Also, need to say um, thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. Uh, sim they're simplifying data um, from the Internet of Things, and I encourage you all to go to project-haystack.org, where you can learn more about what they're doing in terms of tagging data. Uh, and it's a really interesting project, and I encourage um, everybody to get involved. So, yeah, without further ado, I should welcome Brian. Brian, welcome, and thanks for taking the time today. Thank you very much, James, for the introduction. And uh, hi, everybody, um, or good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, um, as the case may be. So, um, thank you to Project Haystack as well for um, the sponsoring of this event and certainly a privilege to have this opportunity to speak um, on our experiences and what we've learned thus far um, with some technologies in our buildings. Great. So, as James alluded to, as, as James alluded to I'm just going to go through some slides um, just to give some perspectives as to where we are. I don't suggest that these are um, the right or the wrong way. We have, as you will see, embarked on various trials and we are in the process of continuing those. So uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to share those learnings with everybody. So just, just by way of introduction, I work for a company called Virgin Money. We're a UK bank. Um, so we, we would generally be classed as a challenger bank in the UK market. Um, we have a main campus here in Newcastle upon Tyne in the UK, and a number of um, stores and lounges across the, based across the UK, uh, roughly in 80 in total. So we've got around 3,000 people work for us, um, and more specifically for the purposes of this this webinar, we have um, a, a BMS system uh, across our main campus which takes care of all our plant and access control. Um, we consume you know, energy in proportion to the size of the site here. Um, you know, it's 40,000 meters squared, um, roughly at this campus here. So that gave us a fertile test bed really to try some different technologies, which I'll talk about during the session. Um, so, so from that point of view, that will kind of give you guys a an insight as to what we've done here. What, the real start point of this for me was very much around um, how can we transform our maintenance to be smarter than a traditional calendar-based maintenance program. 
So in the um, the facilities management space, you know, we, we have a number of standards around the globe which predetermine the, the content and frequency of our maintenance. With the evolution of technology, I had a sense that we could possibly do something a bit smarter and more transformational. Um, the purpose being to drive efficiencies and really focus on maintaining the, the critical infrastructure um, you know, to, to, in a very reliable state and proportionately maintaining the rest of the estate. So that, there's a bit of detail on, this, on the, the slides there about Virgin Money, um, basically covering what I've said there. And if we just move swiftly through and think about um, you know, the, the end user's perspective here. So I work in a property and facilities environment. Um, my end users are people who work for Virgin Money across a diverse range of functions, um, from IT, call centers, um, professional departments, legal departments, for example. Um, and really, just on slide three, um, we just, you know, what I'm kind of anchoring there is the point that expectations have changed. Um, you know, di the digital um, age is firmly upon us, presenting fantastic opportunities. Um, you know, for us to uh, do things differently, and it's 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 our responsibility here to um, provide spaces that will facilitate that. Um, so we've we, you know we've, we've kind of tried to be quite creative in our ideas for our colleagues and our customers in some of our lounges by doing things somewhat differently and, and incorporating some technology solutions into that as well. So if we just move on through the slides and um, around slide four, um, my my kind of perspective here is, you know, for the current generation of um, buildings, you know, smart is a basic user need. Um, you know, we we need the HVAC and we. Uh, the, the lighting and the, the multifunctional nature of the spaces to accommodate the end user to the best it can. So we've really looked at our buildings as you know, making them efficient assets as opposed to overheads. So how can we best utilize what we've got um, towards productivity rather than buildings just being seen as an overhead um, on, on, a, on a cost line? One of the other things we've looked at in um, thinking of where we wanted to see technology help us is the use of life cycle costing and predictive maintenance um, and saying, you know, at, we, we have a standard um, idea as to what the typical life of a piece of plant is, but we wanted to get, gather further insights as to what was the actual remaining life and therefore the capital replacement timeframes around that. And more importantly and fundamentally on a daily basis, does the building actually perform to its design criteria? So if we just on, I'm just hanging on slide four at the moment, um, James. Sure. The, um, so that's the previous, thank you. Um, just a quick note as well, sorry. Um, I've had to uh, take it out of presentation mode because I don't think it actually uh, updates slides for people out there. So hopefully everyone okay. can now see um, the slides. We're just going to put it in uh, normal view on PowerPoint. So uh, we'll just use that for now. Thanks. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, no problem at all. Um, so 
one one of our main focus areas, and we'll touch on it uh, as as we dis, as go through the presentation, is do the buildings perform to their design criteria? So we see common examples of where we've had a very good paper-based design, um, but my interest is using technology. How do I know that my building is performing optimally, optimally today? And you know, over a period of time against its original design criteria. And more importantly, if it's not, what can we do to improve it? Because the notion of marginal gains comes in here, and particularly on energy reduction, you know, if the plant is running inefficiently, um, that's a cost base, and ultimately energy consumption is probably higher than we would have expected. So moving just moving on to the opportunities that, that brings us here. Um, the connectivity that technology has introduced to buildings. For me, um, as illustrated by the, you know, the, you know, the, the image on slide five, is that there are some fantastic opportunities to understand what can be done and use sensor technology, so the, the smart technology, to gather data and the real power of um, the, the, the if you like, the opportunity is in using that data to get insights that we couldn't have otherwise had. So what does that mean for me? That means I can see at a glance, and we'll show some images later on, the condition across a particular area, the uh, heating and ventilation status, and we'll be moving into some smart ceiling installations at the latter part of this year where we can see in real time the occupancy um, of a particular space. So moving on to slide six, the, there's a couple of images there. And I, I touched on earlier about the need to support the performance of my end user. And the, you know, the traditional office space may feel like that battery hen, that kind of farm where everybody goes and gets packed in and we maximize their productivity by packing them in tightly and setting you know, people doing the, the work. But from our perspective, we want it to feel like more like the images you see, which are not Virgin Money images, by the way, depicted on the right-hand side of the slide, where it's spacious, it's, it's supporting individuals um, and their particular role-based needs as to how they need to work, be it in a quiet space, a collaborative way, or a combination of both. The real thing for me here is about the end user. You know. I think it's very we can get very easily excited and enthused by a lot of the technology that we have access to and have the privilege to use. But the real question I can come back to sometimes is what is in it for the end user? What adds the value to the end user who is not a building specialist or technology specialist about their interaction with the building? And we'll, we'll touch on some examples of how we're trying to explore that going forward to give people a sense of more control about their environment. And really, you know, that, that point is on the next slide. It's, you know, the end user needs a sense of, well, what's in it for me? Um, and, you know, we really want to kind of focus on, upon that. At the same time, the nature of work has changed. We've got strike this balance between remote and centralized working. Um, we've got some tasks that just need to be done in a centralized way because of the collaboration requirements. But that what we're trying to do here is create the best spaces we possibly can. And, and that image um, that everybody can see hopefully now is about our, in our Edinburgh office. 
Um, quite an interesting mix of designs and spaces. But where I would like to see smart buildings um, and intelligent building operation come to the fore is to tell me, well, what is the actual utilization of that space? Therefore, what is the maintenance and cleaning requirements within the space? How do I know my space is used at different points of the day? And more importantly, how do users rate the performance of my space? Do they think it's great? Are they comfortable? Does it, does it work for them? And ultimately, I'm thinking, well, what is the evidence base for the business case going forward? So we think this is a real great office, but if we wanted to recreate or refurbish another site to look like this, does the business case have to be stacked up to make a place look like this, including the technology? So the, the, the available technology can help us in that quest, really, to find out this information. And really, mo moving it on to you know, this, this connect between people and information-based businesses, I'm sure everybody who's listening at the moment is in a, you know, a business that has those very priorities. We, we rely upon people and information, and technology joins the two together. Um, but really, our agenda is about providing the best spaces for people to focus, concentrate, collaborate, meet, contemplate, have some fun, and actually learn to support their development. So my agenda here is back to creating the best space with the sense that the end user is getting some value add out of it. Um, and, and really, those have been the fundamental drivers to strike that balance between um, us being no different to many other businesses at Virgin Money uh, as a people and information-based business. So if we actually cut to the chase here and say, well, what are the use cases that we've developed and um, what are our perspectives on them thus far? So we, we start behind the scenes because, you know, the, the end user space is somewhat different to what we look after and, and take care of. So one of the first trials we did with a vendor called Honeywell is we looked at uh, outcome-based maintenance to gain further insight to HVAC plant operation and performance. So what that meant for us is in, in our business, heating and lighting service desk calls are by far the top two categories. So typically people are too hot, too cold. So we've, we've We've used technology and um, some algorithms sitting behind that sensor technology to gain insights to the entire space and its performance and individual components within it. The benefit of that is we can typically now, in the areas we've deployed this, see deviations in plant operation before the end user is aware. So from that point of view, the end user ideally never senses or has a reduced sense of problems about their heating and ventilation. That's been done by using analytics on data um, and connecting that to workflow systems to respond to those events as they arise. The other benefit through this technology that we've observed is we can remote access the plant and its control via uh, iPad, for example, and whereas previously that would have involved a physical technician visit, that can be in, in triaged initially remotely, and only if and 
essential, a technician deployed to go and look at that particular problem, therefore introducing efficiencies of operation in the maintenance space. So as one use case, maintenance has certainly been an area of focus. Thus far, that's been in HVAC control systems. We're now starting to extend that to mechanical systems as well. So boilers and pumps are, are being brought into scope on that particular piece of work. What, that, what does that mean? It means significant reductions in um, planned in reactive calls, and it enables us really to think about how we maintain the plant going forward, given that we can see the plant status in real time all the time through, through monitoring and analytics, as opposed to going doing a six-monthly service visit on a particular piece of kit. Another use case that we've utilized here um, using a, a, a product called Honeywell Vector App is use case for feedback. Um, so how how do people you know give us feedback about the space? Well typically that's in a negative sense it's too hot, too cold and it results in that person uh, having to raise a job, uh, go through a service desk. So if you use some smart for, uh, just mobile device based technology where that the, the user within within the space can use an app, the vector app, to indicate whether they're too hot, too cold. So that gives us insights that are more convenient for the end user to add a piece of value. They don't have to pick up a phone or let or log a job. It's a simple click of a button on a on an app, which then sends a, a request into our kind of service system, and we get that insight as to whether that person's in, in their location feeling. Um, too hot or too cold. So, so from that perspective, we've got we've, we've introduced a feedback loop that otherwise didn't exist for occupants of the buildings. If we think about how we enter the building um, and other use cases here, so in our business, everybody has a security pass, a physical pass, the credit card size piece of plastic that they require to open an open an access control door. So the the technology does now exist to um, incorporate a security pass onto a mobile device. Um, and, and that has been trialed with a small group here um, and has been successful. But there's two sides of the coin to this development of technology. One, we we I'm sure everybody on the call will hear you know, will we'll relate to if you lose your telephone, your mobile telephone, you really do know quite quickly and you, there's a sense of panic and you do something about it really quickly because, wow, where have I left my device? Who's got it? What could they do with it? Um, so we, 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 become, we, we, we react to that pretty quickly. Contrast that with um, if you lost your security pass, you may not realize until the next time you access the building. Um, so the, if if you like, the security enhancement of having it on a person's own device is one benefit, but that is offset um, by you know, the need to be visibly wearing a pass within the company spaces. So we need to strike that balance as an organization and just understand from a cultural point of view, what is the right balance for us there? But that's by no means concluded. However, proof of concept of the technology has been achieved and it is very easily doable and provides us with good user feedback for those who have used it. 
and really now starting to amass data on um, plant performance, on maintenance, we can then start and um, gain insights um, and use analytics to gain uh, further insights as to how plant is performing in real time against set points and we can, we can start and drive different metrics uh, for as a building manager and have insights as to how the building users may be experiencing the building as well using the data. Equally, where we've, where we've deployed um, this, the, this technology, the energy trend correlation with plant performance, if the plant is running out of spec, we typically have seen increases in energy consumption, albeit on a short-term basis. So on the next slide, we have some actual images from the technology that we've been using. Um, they're all presented um, simultaneously here. But I'll just take the one in the foreground just, as a, just by way of example. Um, the, that shows an awful lot of dots on a screen, and, but they were relate to a different fan coil unit within a different floor. And the, the red shading is where the temperature has been in excess of set point and the blue dots are where it's been below set points. So we can gain at an instant glance the status of a particular area over a period of time. Brian, what, what um, and the, analytics software is this? So this is using um, the, the, the Honeywell outcome-based maintenance software, okay. um, which we've we embarked with a proof of concept trial in uh, last year. And really that's, it feels like we've been doing it for a while, but it's not that long. Um, we're probably just coming up to the 12-month mark, and um, one of the real kind of benefits that we've seen of this is the technology gives us insights that it's humanly impossible to achieve. So you kind of see everything all of the time. Um, and that's really what I cover on my next um, kind of slide with some images there is to those real-time insights are, without the technology, impossible to get. Equally, the real-time feedback from building users is um, something that we've not really had the benefit of, other than in a more negative sense. We can look at the implications for improved security around the, the your security pass being on your mobile device as opposed to a piece of plastic. We can then move towards design improvements based on what we've learned. We're looking at the operating costs of the plant to say, well, if we know what the occupancy in, in the space that we're currently refurbishing is, we can then tailor the plant, set the plant back to suit that particular level of occupancy. And really, from that point of view, we use this data to inform our business case decisions about, well, what is the best way to invest going forward in our estate? I've purposely missed out productivity because that's on, right central on that list on, this, on the current view. So productivity, there's some good examples in the, some of the images on the right-hand side on the lowest slide using a, um, a, a feature called the Pulse app, um, which takes our critical alarms, notifies in real time people on their mobile device via SMS text, and they can collaborate about that particular detail. Is so productivity-wise... Sorry, Sorry, James. I was just going to ask, is that the same app that you use for um, occupant feedback? It's not. Um, this is, a, this is um, 
it's a it's it's very specifically designed around alarm infrastructure um, and so we've got to say 130 critical alarms on our estate that we want to react to really quickly and it's specifically designed to flag those up to people who need to know in a user group say half a dozen people and then enable them to have in effect a text conversation if necessary which cuts down on the phone traffic and enables people to focus on what's being done and give updates accordingly. Right, so it's a tool for your guys in the facilities management department. Indeed, it is, right. and right. you know, it's it, it, it's really just to, it's it's just in a, a productive way, a more productive way of dealing with alarm situations, whereas typically we'd probably ring and email each other, um, creating downtime. But the, the the real end user point here is, you know, and I don't think this is very, it, we haven't cracked this one at all, is how do we imp how do we measure the productivity impact that we're having on the end user through using the smart technology? Um, that really is um, something we've, I think we've got to be very careful on in terms of measurement measurement methodology. There's no standardized units for this type of measurement. But what we are embarking on on a, on a project at the moment is a subjective and objective measure um, of occupant perceptions of their productivity in a newly refurbished space using some building technologies um, such as the ones I've discussed and um, a smart ceiling as well, a, a connected ceiling. So watch this space. Um, give me about six to nine months and I'll tell you what the outcome of that is. <laughs> okay. And just, just setting some context here as to how we got to where we are. Um, so, you know, where, where this all began really on the next slide is um, a sense of um, innovation. Um, you know, we, I had a sense really here that the, um, there was technology, innovative technology out there that could do something, but I didn't know what, being quite bluntly honest about it. Um, and my vision there was to be more transformational in the way we maintain our state, as opposed to just in the UK adopting a, a, a classic SFG20 or um, whatever um, guidance applies in the, in the region um, approach to maintenance. So in order to do that, just um, thinking it through and reflecting on it, we, we, we had a, a really sent, have an entrepreneurial approach to this because in trying out something new there is a risk of success or failure so we sense the opportunity to do something different and exciting um, but very much on a test and implement basis thus far we've seen more positives than negatives uh, which is a good news story but I think for people joining the call it's really having that sense of um, don't be too reluctant to innovate and be entrepreneurial in your mindset as to what technology may or indeed may not do um, to, to help. And really that then sent is, you know, in practical terms about, well, there is risk in everything we do. These have been trials, as I've said, there's a risk of success or failure and be prepared to accept both. And it's just recently in the press, um, just uh, just over the last weekend, that the, the deployment um, of quite a simple technology 
um, just for for checking out uh, desk utilization at Barclays, um, led to a real kind of negative and unexpected reaction amongst the occupants um, that they were being um, Big Brother watched and technology was being used to kind of check them out as to what they were doing. Um, and you know, quote on the article on the next slide, they, they were bemused to find little black boxes, um, you know, under the desks. However, what we've learned from some partners that we're working with here is the need to communicate and be open and, and ensure people understand what we're doing is central to adoption. Oh, sorry, adoption. If we, if we, if we covertly and with stealth deploy this technology people will inevitably become suspicious and rightly question why. So the perception of the end user, going back to that importance of the end user, um, is really important. Um, and we shouldn't underestimate or um, you know, be relaxed about the, the unintended consequences of what can happen when technology is used for the best of intentions but has the um, the opposite reaction to what we expect. From an operator's point of view, these insights are great. How many of my desks are being used? But from the colleague and people's point of view, it's, uh, well, I'm being watched and I'm not too happy about this. And I think there have been some examples that I've heard where um, people have kind of reacted quite strongly and the technology's therefore been removed, which kind of defeats the object. So just think in, in summary, what do I like and the, um, the the vendors and what's on offer at the moment and the, the, the people we've worked with thus far? I think establishing a shared vision is really important. Um, a a like-minded and collaborative effort is essential um, and quite an open and honest agenda. And an example of that is we may have some ideas as to how we can stretch use of technology and vendors say, well, at this moment in time, that's not really on our roadmap. And I think it's just having those conversations and ex setting expectations appropriately. One thing I have enjoyed um, looking back is the speed of response. And I'm always amazed by the speed at which developments are made in technology. Um, it always uh, amazes me as to how agile the industry is in creating new solutions. And really, the, one of the key outputs for me has been gaining far greater user insights um, to, to building operation than we, we would have otherwise had. I think the, the things that would caution me would be either work, working with vendors that where there's perhaps a lack of vision um, or very narrow use cases um, where you know it may solve a problem, but it's one of many for the organisation and. We all driven at some point more so um, by you know the return on investment. So really, what we do, the product of our efforts, has got to be realistic and tangible, um, and that's sometimes quite a challenge to achieve. And what could what could be done by vendors to make life really easy for end users? You know, and I think. When we embarked on this trail, we did so with the risk that we couldn't speak to any other end users who were actually doing some of this. The, you know, the, this technology was in development in our, in our particular case. 
But really, the one kind of call out I would say is make life easier by providing real use cases translated into return on investment. So for pound or dollar or euro invested, what can I expect to get back by doing this? So that's, that's been, therefore, an exciting journey you know, to where we've reached. But if we look forwards and on the horizon and say, where does technology give us further opportunities? Um, I think one interesting space will be the rating of services. Um, and really, for me, if it's not rated today, it will be tomorrow. Um, and I say that about services within the workspace, the workspace itself. And we have had conversations about, and we know technologies exist, around um, there are ways to determine and gain insights into human performance by tone of voice and uh, the, the way people interact and collaboration. Extend that to well-being. We can quite readily now track movement in terms of sitting, standing, and link that to well-being agendas. Um, but then bringing more value adds to people through the mobile device. I think there will be an increasing um, interaction between our lives and the workspace, and you know we will facilitate people's lives at work, such as you know parcel collection is common now. Food ordering on from on-site catering services is potentially an, an option. Internal mapping for larger complexes in the same way as you would find on Google Maps for finding meeting and collaboration spaces. And really interestingly, going back to personal performance feedback, um, rate my meeting. So if, if, if we kind of said, rate my webinar today, that is achievable. But if that was my personal meeting around a table, I would be very interested as to how people reacted to that and what their views were in real time. Um, so that there are some very interesting developments here, and I'm, I'm kind of splitting those down into things I can do as a building operator, but equally other things that I would like to embark on for building users and to add value to their experiences. So that concludes the slides. Um, I'm sure there may be some questions. Um, yeah, there to are. Answer. So I'll just hand back to James to, yeah. in the interest of time and um, answer some questions, hopefully. Yeah, we've got plenty of time for questions, which is great. And thanks for, oh. for sharing those slides. Um, really good. I'm, I've, I, I want to get my questions in. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> but, um, yeah, go. Yeah, sure. So I'm, um, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to others first. I think that's the fair way to do it. Uh, but I will say... Um, Reference slides, uh, we will be putting these up on the website. This is also being recorded as well. So um, you can actually subscribe either on SoundCloud or uh, if you search for memory on SoundCloud, you'll find us there. Also, you'll find us on iTunes as a podcast. Uh, just do a search for Smart Building Series. Um, so that's two ways to listen. And uh, as I said, slides will be up on the website for everybody who wants them. So Brian, we had um, first question was referenced this maintenance use case. Uh, yeah. They asked, um, does Virgin conduct their own fault triage for system issues, or through a service provider partner? So we we have our own fault triage. Um, so that's existed in a more traditional sense. Um, so we have some critical IT facilities within our business. So. Clearly, any outage in that space would be 
the the highest priority with SLA responses, you know, within within the hour for for some cases. So we do, we do triage that, but that does lend itself to um, more automation and um, efficiency through technology to deliver those to the um, you know a non-core mobile technician um, to avoid phone phone traffic and the like, just an alert to a device. Uh, we have 24/7 control room here from a security perspective, and again, they, you know, that that still involves manual intervention by humans, and I think there's some scope to triage more efficiently and effectively, linking that to the Pulse app as well. Right. Yeah. Good point, and I know that there's companies doing security kind of monitoring now as well. Uh, next question for you was about the feedback, which I thought was interesting as well, the use case there. Um, what, uh, what mobile app are you using for occupant feedback? So we're using um, the, the Honeywell Vector app at the moment, and so we've done some development work with that. Um, so the, 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 the real kind of simple level of that at the moment is the feedback on thermal comfort, too hot, too cold. So what, we, what we're moving towards um, is the notion of rate my space. So we'll, you know, in our working lives, we'll use meeting rooms, we'll use um, catering facilities. Um, we have a gym on site here in Newcastle upon Tyne. Um, so we, I'm really interested to how end users rate my space on a simple five-star basis. So I'm sure we've, most of us have seen rating scales presented as a five-star line, five being the best, one being the worst, and then with some supporting script behind that to say, well, if you scored me a one, what, was the, what, what didn't you like about that experience? So from a, from a perspective of providing those facilities to people, I'm very interested into what those people's views are in as quickly as I can get them, really, rather than a user survey conducted randomly at three, six, 12 month intervals, where potentially the problem that the user may have experienced is long gone. Um, so, so from that perspective, that, that rating opportunity, we've, we've looked at it from a very basic sense of temperature, but it has great potential to be used for more service-orientated features. Of what we do yeah I think that's really interesting that um, the, the the getting feedback from the end user because of course there is this disconnect in buildings right that the, they're not responsible for buying the technology but they're, they're ultimately the ones that are using it or or supposed to get the benefit how how do you find engagement with the staff with with an app uh, are you a lot of people providing feedback without much um, Coercion, for want of a better word. So we've, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very valid point, James, because we've we've thus far trialled with a, a group of colleagues within our function in the property and facilities function who are probably biased towards um, you know this is new technology around buildings and um, operation of buildings. So I, I touched on earlier, we're just doing a project at the moment which will accommodate 350 people um, in one of our uh, key areas. 
and they are the next user group to um, deploy the app to. And uptake will be one of my biggest agendas in that, um, that, that, that trial. But not just initial uptake, it's how much, uh, how sticky users become. So we all get the novelty factor of new technology and it's really good fun for a, a while, but then we lose interest. Right. So my real challenge here is how do I keep people engaged using technology? Are they really bothered by it? Do yeah. they like it? Do they value? Do they see it as value or just a nice feature that's not really essential? Yeah. We've got to make it. We've got to make it really useful to them and a sense of benefit from using the technology. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Great, great point. Yeah. Great point. Got a, um, a couple of questions here. Really good ones. Um, going forward, what skills would you envision for your staff? I think they're talking about your FM staff. Uh, balancing ability to monitor ad analytics with hands-on mechanical HVA HVAC skills. So there's one. It's a two-part question. That's the first part. Yeah, I think the analytics are um, emerging as the absolute pivotal role in this agenda. So we can generate data through many through many sources. Having the knowledge, skills, the expertise, and the experience to interpret that data into a meaningful and presentable way is really important. So I think the analyst, the data analyst, or the, um, indeed the building management system analyst, is an emerging field. And having talked to other end users, we've kind of We've got common ground here that there is a need for this type of role in the industry emerging. Mm. Um, and if I could balance it using just relative numbers, 60%, I think, of the future requirement will be around the data and the analysis with 40%, the hands-on fixing and replacing or switching in and out components. That's really, um, yeah, because the second part of the question is how do you then address resistance among traditional staff to broader to broader digital applications and fear of losing a job? I think the nature of the work changes. You know, the, the, the you know, what I what I envisage is that you know traditional toolbox approach becomes a um, a switch in, switch out task and a servicing task. Um, the skill sets will be different. However, I think there will be a transformation in those um, skill requirements in the industry. So, and, and really it's how the technology impacts on that in the, the existing um, you know, people who work within the industry and the adaption rate of technology by people or, or organizations within it. Mm. Um, I think it's a, it's a, we're at the very early and exciting stages of the understanding the full implications of the technology. But that's a perception rather than, I think, a real strong prediction from my point of view. I just sense that that is perhaps the way we'll head. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of question here. It's a, I think it's a tough one, but see how you do with this, Brian. For a, building to, okay. for a building to be perfect from an end user perspective, what must it be able to do? And are there technological developments required to create perfect building place? Great question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the perfect building for me is 
one that understands my individual needs. So what do I mean by that? I travel to work and if we geofence the space, it knows when I'm on my way. Mm. I can select how I want to use that building today. That building is already accommodating um, its occupants based on the outside conditions, you know, so it's appropriately cooled or heated depending on the season. And within it, I can access the services that I really like to access easily. And as we are be becoming um, you know, more focused on using mobile technology, I anticipate that if it ain't on the mobile device, it's probably not that great for me. So I think having access to some of the things I like to do when I'm at work, find a collaboration space, order a coffee, order some food, um, find out where a colleague actually is, uh, arrange to meet somebody. Via a mobile device, I think that's where we'll end up being. Um, that would be my perfect building. And equally, when I decide to go home, I can get some pretty much real-time insights as to how I'm going to make my journey. We already know when we get in the car that there are certain technologies which will estimate your journey time, driving, but linking public transport information back to me if I use public transport or gain value adds to me um, you know, where I would possibly see those helping. Yeah, you have the perfect utopian view. <laughs> yeah, I, and definitely. I mean, I think you raised some really interesting points there. So things like, for example, customization, because the per, in inverted commas, the perfect building for one person is not going to be the perfect building for somebody else. So having that flexibility to be able to provide um, a customizable, um, uh, what's the word, experience for, for different users would be really interesting and beneficial. Um, yeah, and as you said, the right the right kind of the right information at the right time, so that it makes your your day seamless. Because I think the, I mean, you raised the point earlier, which I thought was really interesting about technology being the bridge between people and information, and how important that was. I mean, so important for the for the built environment um, that that you put that information in the people's hands at the right time, and it creates a more seamless experience for them um, so that you know they can get on with being productive and doing whatever it is that, that, that their function is in in various different types of buildings yeah I think you used the exact word I was searching for which was the building users experience you know we all have that different expectation and indeed that varies by day and by hour so you know this morning I needed to be working in um, more quiet spaces, um, whereas it, the interim, the middle point of the day has been collaboration. And at this very point in time, I need a quiet space to um, participate in this in, in this session. So it's finding those easily and um, actually being able to give a bit of feedback to say I'm too hot, too cold. I've actually got a sense that, you know, um, things will improve based on that feedback. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, ex the building user experience is something we should always re revert to to say, well, what does this mean for the end user, the customer, 
whoever they may be in whichever space they're working in. Yeah, it's great. I think we could talk about that all day. Uh, it's such an interesting topic and how you do it. But uh, we've actually got some more questions here. Um, I and mean, as I said, we've got plenty of time. I mean, I'm happy to answer as many questions as you guys have. So if there are any more, let me know. Uh, one here, what were the outcome KPIs in the outcome-based maintenance case, aside from reduced truck rolls, calls, down uh, downtime versus email, etc. So we had um, some reductions in um, reactive maintenance calls there, as was, as we touched on. Mm-hmm. The we had some reductions in energy consumption, um, which were observed in this in the space, and. The, the, the ultimately the reduction in, in calls is what we really observed there that pe- you know people became became less volume. Um, what we're looking to do with that data when we moved into the mechanical space is very much around um, remaining life cycle or remaining life prediction. So we you know we, I think other industries have been um, utilizing these technologies for some time aviation, oil and gas more critical process industries, they will pretty much have a handle on the expected failure period for a piece of plant or equipment. And that will drive a capital replacement program and a, a criticality-based replacement program. As a provider of an op- predominantly an office space, I, I, my vision is we transition towards that here so we can inform our businesses to what the true capital position might look like going forward, as opposed to just simply relying upon um, you know, periodic replacement um, schedules that have been defined in the past and not taking into account the condition of the asset, how it's been used, how it's performing, and predictive features that we've now got access to. Um, so we're developing those KPIs now. Um, and hence, Makina, Mang earlier, just watch, watch this space. We've got a couple of things still in, you know, running in trial. Um, and we have, I don't think we've got the full learnings yet. It's that's the that's the exciting bit of this agenda. We're we're doing it now, and we'll hopefully conclude and get some good learnings. Yeah, absolutely. I've got something to like follow on from that. Um, you mentioned you know ROI, return on investment, sort of. Yeah, I think towards the end, right when you we were talking about your experience with different um, suppliers. Is there, you know, I mean, do you as a company sort of have a have a rule? You say, well, look, if it, if this isn't going to pay back within, I don't know, X number of years, we're not we're not interested. We do have various metrics um, depending on, and you know, I think one of the the interesting things there is about energy is the first thing we always typically go for, isn't it? Is to, you know, we can reduce energy and the return on investment is X. Um, over Y period. However, there, I think what will emerge is the commercialization of this technology. So we've had the privilege of doing a lot of this work in a development stage, yeah. but actually as a true commercial product, once you've got a cost, you've got an initial investment cost, this is a payback period that will shift that ROI case. And I think the challenge for end users certainly is to make sure that that stacks up for their business. Um, Notwithstanding, people are the, 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 the value in the business really in many ways. 
how can we measure their productivity and therefore quantify the return on investment from an improved productivity perspective of that building user experience improvement? Right, absolutely. So if we, so we make so we, we create less hassle for building occupants, less cause to complain, services are easier and quicker to access. I think we're getting into some really interesting territories to how we quantify that from a business case point of view. And I do not profess for a moment to have even embarked and successfully found some data on that. It's in the thinking, but we've not got to lose sight of it is the position I would adopt on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be a great position to be in. Um, and yeah. Yeah, would really um, provide a amazing, you know, use case for this kind of technology. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got some more questions, um, which I'll come on to now. Uh, would be interesting to know uh, how you brought your team along with using analytics and how successful it was, how long it took, uh, where they are now. But this is a relatively new thing for you, isn't it? The analytics, but maybe you could, yes. How's the team getting on with it? I think positive, but we, we I think we have a mindset towards an open mindset towards technology. So we work with other maintenance vendors, and we, you know, it's about initially. I think there probably was a degree of cynicism about, well, yeah, how can we find this information out? And there is a we went through a, quite a lengthy period of validation of the analytics to say, are we getting actually true, true indicators of a fault, or was it a false positive? Um, so that that was you know, that's an important and well, essential step, really. And I, and I think now the the, the next challenge is for um, you know maintenance technicians to um, trust the data because you know. A, a, a rule, an analytic rule may say something, but it's having the confidence that those rules have matured enough through use and practice in this organization and elsewhere that they are very valid now. You know, I didn't, I'm not saying we've got a lot of false positives, by the way, but I think it's having the confidence in the data, which is really the next challenge for us with our vendors, our maintenance vendors. Um, from a team point of view, I think they get it, but we're we're early adopter mindset, so I'm very conscious of that as well. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. Um, That's an interesting one because you know, from my experience, limited experience in the, you know the industry, you you are certainly on the the sharper end than most. Um, I don't, yeah. you know, in terms of uh, as a a company adopting these kind of technologies and and think the way that you're thinking about buildings. So that's that's really good. Yeah. Kind of ties in actually to this question. Um, what changes are anticipated over the next five years from the perspective of technology and then user benefit? Where would you like to be in five years? So I would like to be in a position where I've got a real insight as to the remaining asset life. That is driving our capital and replacement program in parallel with some user features that people really get a sense there that they've got a, these are, these have been beneficial. And I, I, I touched on the, the, the trail that we're just about to start this October uh, with 350 people in this company about using the technology 
within a newly refurbished space and we'll, we're doing some structured analysis around that. Um, in five years, I would like to think we've used that analysis and transformed that into a business case approach to do similar refurbishments elsewhere. Um, you know, for the case in point here is we're going to install a, um, a smart ceiling which will track um, occupancy in real time. It'll give us the opportunity to optimize plant operation. And then if we extend it beyond the building services itself, you know, how do we clean that space if it's not based on its utilization? You're going to have very high use, very low use areas in a wide open space. This isn't just, this isn't just rooms. Um, so restrooms are a great example where we can you can track usage and you know service them accordingly. This is looking at a, a, a very large open space and how we service that space and ultimately how we maintain that space over something like a five-year period. So for example, the entranceway, do you replace the carpets at a greater frequency? Because we know that they are always the heaviest used bits um, contrasted with other areas which are very little used. The real size of the prize, let's get some insights as to inform our design in the future. So how does how do the analytics and the data that we get out of the space inform decision-making for the, the next project of refurbishment? Mm. Um, so to avoid the hunch of, well, yeah, we did it there, so it must be a good idea and it worked, so we'll do it, we'll do it at the next one, which is pretty much the easiest trap to fall into. Yeah, great. We're coming towards the end of uh, the webinar now, unfortunately. Um, so I've got a couple more questions, but if you do have any more, then send them in now and uh, we can fit them in before we finish. Uh, next question, Brian. Uh, have you seen any good examples of user onboarding for site teams? Um, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to say we've been. A Brilliant, fantastic example. Um, no, I haven't. Generally, we've um, we've talked to the, uh, the vendors, and they've got, shared with us various experiences of uptake. Um, I think the next real test is where we deploy this as a feature to a larger user group, and from that we'll establish what the response is really like. I think we have a perception as people who are biased towards early adoption of technologies, but I guess what I'm saying is we're going to try in the very real population in the very near future. Um, and I'm, I'm really keen to link up with anybody um, who's already gone down this pathway, had some experiences, good or bad, because one thing that can, I've gained along the way is listening to other people and just found some simple kind of tips around, I think there was one where some, a smart ceiling was put, was installed and the end user wasn't consulted and they particularly didn't like the whole idea, very similar to the Barclays article that I showed on one of the slides and that became a very negative experience. So I think any, any examples of where it's been fantastically done, I would love to learn from um, and I don't, I don't, put ours on a pedestal and say that, you know, they are really good examples either way, but I'm more than happy to contribute to that debate as we learn further. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I think we need people as an industry, you know, talking about experiences, sharing, sharing a little bit more. 
uh, about what you know the technology they're using and their experiences and etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, because some some cases there are I think there is a shortage of you know real world uh, benefits and use cases of, of buildings that have adopted technology and, and how it's gone that's just my uh, experience anyway and I think the, the flip side of that is you know the, the promotional material is always very good and very exciting but as a provider of the space to real people I want the real experiences behind the the nice um, production of the technology in its perfect state you know and in a kind of a in, in an advert you know, in a sales type where we want to see the real world examples to your point James that's, yeah. that's what we can all benefit from yes exactly uh, and I put this slide back up, um, the balancing of remote and centralized working, because I, I thought that was really interesting when you talked about that. Um, I guess, uh, how are you as a company seeing this trend towards, you know, more of a more mobile workforce? Uh, are you moving towards, like, for example, more remote working? And, and how is that impacting your business and, and the, you know, your, your buildings? So I think recently we've just introduced new technologies for, um, which enable people to work remotely. And I think that has been transformational in working styles. And the, the, I guess the best way I could describe this is the typical Monday to Friday week. And I think most, most organizations where people can and have the ability to work away from the, 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 the centralized space is the case that we see occupancy profile uh, you know, subjectively on a Monday, on a Friday, it's pretty, it's lower than a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But I'd really, without some manual interventions and some bespoke, I've got real, no real evidence base to say that that is the case across the whole estate. So I think the technology we're going to, we're just putting in as we speak will tell us exactly in real time what the utilization is then that drives the future business provision for workspace, centralized workspace versus remote. The technology's there for most people to work remotely now in our business, or you know, the people who have been given that technology, and I think they're using it. But that then begs the question, how much space do we actually need to provide? And more importantly, what do we do with what's left? Okay, yeah, yeah. So a few challenges for you. Very much so. It's it's by no means an open and closed story. It's 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 work in progress and uh, a privilege to be in the middle of it, really. Yeah. Well, that's great. I thank you so much for your time, Brian. Um, I and think we pleasure. we could definitely talk for another hour, but um, have to uh, finish it there. Um, thank if you. anyone if anyone wants to get hold of you or um, where how can they do that or ask some more questions. So I've got, um, I'll be on LinkedIn, um, just drop me an invite and it'll be great to connect. Um, I'm more than happy to share my um, email address with people um, if, if you want to put sure. that into the slide somewhere. Yeah, um, I mean we can, yeah, they, you, you can connect through LinkedIn and then um, get it that way. I guess that's probably the, be the best way to do it. No uh, and I will put these slides up. Online. So, as I said before, uh, we'll 
we are recording this and I'll put the audio up um, together with the slides on our website. And also, um, if, if people want to subscribe to all of the webinars and podcasts we do, then the easy way to do that is through either SoundCloud. Um, you can get the app for that. Um, and also iTunes. So uh, if you search for Smart Building Series on iTunes, you can find us there. And yeah, just a couple more things. Just obviously, again, to say thank you to um, our sponsor, Project Haystack. Uh, definitely a project, open source project that's worth finding out about if you're interested in IoT data. Uh, you can find more about them on project-haystack.org. And in terms of what we're up to, there'll uh, be another webinar next uh, month, and we're going to be looking at indoor mapping uh, technology. Uh, so yeah, please uh, tune in for that one. And then just to finish again, to say thanks very much, Brian, for your time. Really appreciate it. And can I just say thank you for the privilege um, of having this session and being able to make a contribution. And, and I do hope it's been useful. And thank you for everybody who's listening as well. Great. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye for now. Okay, bye-bye.